Our passage today, um, we've been preaching on, uh, you know, the last couple of chapters in 1 Corinthians 7 and 8, the last few weeks, and, um, and in this one, it's, uh, we're still talking about, as we were, I think, the last couple of weeks, talking about um, uh, food sacrificed to idols, and um, this, is a, this is a topic that I realize doesn't have very much um, relevance, direct relevance to us today. Um, we don't often have problems with uh, people coming in and saying, I love to eat food sacrificed to idols, and other people going, well, that's outrageous, because um, we don't really do that kind of thing uh, these days. But uh, what happens in this passage is Paul uh, is addressing this question um, of, uh, of, of, of people who have grown up eating idol food, and, um, and now that they've become Christians, uh, they say, well, we can't eat that food. Because uh, what's going inside of me is essentially uh, making me bad. It's coming out of me. It's, make, it's going into me and making me evil. And Paul is addressing this question. And he does have, a, have, a, have an opinion on it. And it's, and it's clear. But he uses this opportunity to uh, address a, a, another issue. A larger issue that's actually occurring uh, in the Corinthian church. And that is one of arrogance. And, um, and what was happening at the time was that people were coming along and saying, well... We know that there is only one God. We know that Christ is the only Lord. And so all of these idols and these statues and these stones that people are bowing down and slaughtering meat in front of have no power. And we know this. And, um, and therefore, that food is fine to eat. You know, there is no power in those idols. Therefore, the food is fine to eat. Christ is the only Lord. And um, Paul agrees with this. He says, yes, absolutely. Christ is the only Lord. There is one God. But, but, do not let this be an opportunity to build yourselves up in the knowledge that we have over others. And he's very open about the fact that some people may not know this. They may not have just, you know, it's a difficult habit to get out of if you've been eating idle food for 30, you know, your whole life. And suddenly you're told that's completely wrong. Uh, and then to be able to go back and eat that freely is, is a difficult thing. And so in respect... For, um, for those people, um, Paul warns against this boastful attitude that seems to have come out of these people who know, have this knowledge, this arrogance that comes out of them. Um, Paul writes, and he's, he's approaching that. Arrogance in the church today um, is, is, is something that I think we've probably all encountered. Um, I know certainly that I have been so guilty of being arrogant in, um, in many ways. And, um, and the way that kind of comes out, I think, in the church today is... Um, is it can come out with people who kind of like seem to know God very well. Um, people who pray with a contorted face. <laughs> um, people who speak and preach. People who come and lead worship. People who sing. People who come and do the readings. It's, 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 it's easy to make yourself appear very holy. And like you know something. You know God. An attitude of I know God a little bit better than you. And therefore I'm a better Christian. And I think that's the kind of thing that, um, that I, would, I would say is the arrogance in the church today that this would um, now apply to, um, seeing ourselves as better than uh, others. Um, and Paul warns against this division very strongly. Um, Paul is really passionate about the oneness of the church and the oneness of the people of the church. Um, nothing can compromise this. He even uses this amazing analogy of the body of Christ. The church is one body. It's got many parts. It's got eyes, ears, feet, hands, all of this. Um, and actually, it's one, completely one. And there's not very much that Paul um, allows 
um, and says that's fine to divide the church. Almost nothing, in fact, because he always comes back to, and he does in the passage, he does at the end of this passage, he comes back to this, um, this, tur- this turning to something greater than ourselves. Now, arrogance, if arrogance is a turning in towards self, a sort of you being at the center, you know, what's going to make my ego bigger? Um, uh, and humility, therefore, the opposite of arrogance, is the turning away from ourselves towards others and actually saying, I'm not the center, but I'm going to make others the center. I'm going to make something else outside of myself the center of my life. That's humility. And the way we deal, then, therefore, with arrogance is to look to something outside of ourselves that is bigger and stronger and better because there's an innate human uh, nature and behavior that is to try and focus our attention um, on the thing that will give us the greatest return, uh, the most sure promise, as it were. And um, so often, uh, particularly you know, in the world today, that, that thing that we can focus on is, 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 uh, is ourselves. Um, why is it ourselves? Because um, we're tangible, we're here, we can feel ourselves, we can touch ourselves, we know we exist, we think, um, and, um, and we can actually predict our own behaviors. So it's very easy to invest in ourselves. And from a business sort of investing perspective, you'd call ourselves a safe investment. Um, we, uh, we, we can predict, look at many of the, the, um, the, the different, uh, uh, I don't know, values, as it were, and, um, and predict the outcome, predict the market value, and hopefully that'll go up. So we invest in ourselves. That will, we, we might call that a safe investment in the world today. And now if you look at God, someone completely immeasurable, completely non-tangible, and impossible to predict, actually, in many ways. Um, you take that to an investor, and they say, that, well, that is a high-risk non-investment, i.e., do not invest in God. He is not measurable. We cannot say that this is going to happen when we invest in God. So he's a bad investment. There you go. That's the message for today. Amen. No, um, <laughs> um, But the crucial point, and here's the first crucial point of the passage. So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And so Paul is making an assumption in this entire passage that that Christ is the center of the church. And um, we see that coming out. So this is the assumption that he's making. Christ is the center of the church. Uh, And um, yes, and investing in God. um, Instead of thinking, well, I'm going to take what I have and choose to invest it in this God. Um, now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Certainly, as Christians, we believe that's not a bad thing. However, um, there's a better way to do it, and that is uh, to realize that as we trust God, God already has it all. And so instead of taking our little lot and trying to invest in God, rather seeing our lot as being all of Christ's and what we have uh, how, how many of us know that what we have is actually God's sign that he is investing in us, in fact? And that's a subtle thing, it may, may seem, but it's a huge difference. Because how do we handle our finances from there? How do we handle our generosity from there? How do we handle our, our words from there? That actually the words that we have to speak are um, not a sign that we have things that we can uh, share around and we have power, but actually that God is choosing to invest in us. Um, he's put something into us for a reason. And, um, and that is... a. Uh, a really important, that's the first point for today. How does that change how we do our finance? How does that change how we do our, give our words away with generosity? How does it 
change, how we give our time away. Actually, I'm not trying to invest in things. I'm not trying to invest in God. This is a sign. The fact that I have time, the fact that I have words, the fact that I have finance, that is a sign that God's invested in me for a purpose and a reason. Point number one. Now, um, going on, this passage, Stephen, it talks about people. So how do we do this with people? And verse 11 again, I just want to read that again. So this weak brother for whom Christ died, for whom Christ died. Uh, I, um, I went to a place uh, on my gap year. Um, I'm still on my gap year four years later. But, um, but uh, I went to a place called Liabi for a year, which is a Christian community in, in Devon. And, um, and the, you know, I learned lots of, lots of great stuff there. I had a real eye-opening experience to how people work. And, um, and one, of, one of the things that I realized about community, particularly Christian community, is, is, is the thing that gets into the midst of it and is the cancer, as it were, of community is, is, is selfishness. And we probably all know that to a degree. But it's this kind of selfishness um, where people um, who are well within their rights to demand things and say, um, actually, I know I, I, I can do this better than you. And there are, you know, there's a whole range of people on community from 18 up to 30. And, um, and so you've got these people, you know, straight out of school um, who don't know anything. You know, the first thing about life up to people who really um, know quite a bit saying, actually, you know what? I can do this better than you. And instead of then letting that be a teaching opportunity or something that can bring those young people forward, it turns into something um, that actually allows them to have a large ego. In this very small pond that was a Christian community in North Devon, um, you've got these people walking around with these massive egos, and they are so puffed up. Knowledge puffs up, says the passage, Paul says. And and that is such a cancer, actually, to community. It really divided us in so many ways, and we had massive fallings out um, when I was there. Um, and uh, I just, this leads me on to this um, verse, John fifteen thirteen, which I, you can turn to if you want, but um, it's just a very short, we all know it, which is, um, no greater love has anyone than this, than to lay down their life for their friends. And um, if we're called to lay down our lives for, for these people, um, I think... It's possible that the start of that is to lay down our preferences, is to lay down our rights for each other. And, um, and I had to do, I also study at St. Melitus um, College in Earl's Court. I'm doing a, a degree in theology. And, um, and I was, had to write an essay last year on tradition and what is tradition. And this quote I found uh, basically said, uh, uh, tradition... Uh, should always change and evolve apart from its essential content. And I found that really interesting. So the point the, the, past, the, the book was making was that tradition, you know, why do we have tradition in the first place? Because of change, uh, because it evolved from somewhere. And, um, and, and, and this, this essential content, it, shouldn't, it should change except for the essential content. And I suddenly it got me really thinking, what is the essential content of the church we start looking at the tradition of the church. What is this essential content? And, um, and we, as Anglicans, you know, I think none of us particularly like change. Um, but, um, but to lay down our preferences for one another uh, and not, not compromise on the essential, the essential truths of the, of the church. And, and I, 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 don't, I don't, I haven't thought about the, the complete... Uh, 
to the end of that road, I think I think I'm, I'll think about that for a long time. But what I what I'd like to suggest is that it's much more, much much closer to Christ than it is to what we have around us. The essential tradition of the church is very very centered on Jesus, Jesus alone. Um, if we can all love love the Lord, if we can realize the gospel um, that He has died for me, that He has died for you. Um, then I think that we're getting much, much closer to what actually is the very thing that we're supposed to hold on to. And all those other things, they're allowed to change. They're allowed to evolve. They will change. They will evolve. And actually, let's, in honor of each other, give up those preferences, give up the rights that we have, because ultimately what we're looking forward to is giving up our lives for one another. Let's focus on the Lord. Um, Now, I've come to the point of the sermon where some of you may be sitting there and thinking, this is all a lovely Lovely message. Isn't that a lovely thing to be able to say, give our lives for each other and all this. It's great. And I'm going to really have a good shot. I'm going to have a great crack at this. I'm going I'm to leave here. I'm going to have a, have a refresh my will and I'm going to have a, another good go. And, um, and the truth is, um, if we're not sitting here and sort of thinking, Lord, I have no idea how I'm going to even start to do this. You accept me to, you want me to give away my life for these people who I, you know, I barely know. Um, how is this possible? Um, then, uh, then maybe you've understood something if you're sitting there in despair. <laughs> I, that probably means um, either, I, you know, if you're sitting there, uh, if you're not sitting there in despair, it means I probably haven't been clear enough. But, um, but if we're sitting in despair right now, thinking, Lord, this is not possible for me, then, uh, then that's a good thing. And that is where the second, this second part comes in, because I just want to talk a little bit about the presence of God. Um, now, I'm a, I'm a worship leader, um, and, um, and I love the presence of God. Um, I, I love to sit in it. <laughs> I love to sing. I love to worship. I love to be in silence. I love to, I love to pray. And, um, and, and what I'm seeking when I do all those things is actually this, this presence of God. And the presence of God is a big theme through all of Scripture, um, particularly the Old Testament. The Israelites, you get a real physical sense that they're, they're desiring the presence of God. It's the presence of God that they've lost in the fall. And so the whole story of the Old Testament is then trying to restore the temple, get back to their land, and, and, and have the presence of God again like they did at the start. And, um, and, you know, we know the gospel that Christ came and he died so that we could actually step into the presence of God and the presence of God could come and live within us. Um, this amazing miracle. Um, but we need the presence of God and we need more of the presence of God. And I want to suggest that we need it for three things. We need it for change. We need it for hope. And we need it for help. Um, and the first one, change. Um, when you hang out with a friend, and if you hang out with your friend a lot, you tend to pick up things that they do. And um, I had a mate back in Liabi, and he used to say, oh, great shout, great shout. Whenever anyone had made a good suggestion, he said, oh, great shout. And in six months, I realized that I said, started saying that as well. I was like, oh, yeah, great shout, great shout. And, um, and I said, that's bizarre. Why am I starting to say that? It's just because I've been hanging out with him a lot and hearing him say it a lot. And in much the same way, as we spend time, and time is a, is, a, is a key factor here, time in the presence of God, very intentionally sitting there in the presence, um, like the friend rubs off on us, God begins to rub off on us. Things that he does, the way he acts with people, we start to act that way. 
um, the way he sacrifices himself and actually says, no, no, you, you, have, your, you have your way. I, I'm, I know that I have a right actually to claim this, but you have your way. The way that he does that begins to rub off on us. The way that he gives up his preferences so often and his life in the end begins to rub off on us. Um, so for change, let us spend time in the presence of God. Um, secondly, for hope. Um, I said before that humans have a tendency to, to, to look to the larger thing. Um, and, and the strongest thing we perceive in the world is generally the thing that we'll live for. Um, and it's in the presence of God that God reveals who he is. And if we know who God is, then there's no question about who is the stronger between me and God. There is no question who is the stronger between this world and Jesus. Uh, so the longer we spend in the presence of God, the longer we see who he is, the more hope we have. Because, um, because we suddenly find ourselves almost inadvertently living for him rather than me. Why would I live for something that's weak when I could live for someone that's strong? Um, as we see who he is, and we know that one day we'll be in his arms, the hope of our life is completed. And, um, and there may be some of us, and I'm sure, in fact, I was speaking uh, last night at a worship night um, gathering, and there are a few of us there. And, um, and I just had a sense that, um, that there may be people, and I think it may be the same, it is, probably is the same for us, that we've worshipped and loved God in, one, in a way for, for the last month, maybe, for the last six months, maybe for the last 30 years. And that's awesome. Um, but I can honestly tell you that God is bigger than you've previously known. And so he is calling us all into another level, another, a deeper level of intimacy, a deeper level of love, a deeper level of truth. And there's people, you know, there's people in this church, there's people around this area who live with God in a way that he is just a satisfactory working relationship. Um, God's like the person they wake up to and go, oh, you know, when I'm in trouble, he really helps me out. When I'm doing my work and I'm struggling, he really comes through for me there. And I'm not interested in a satisfactory working relationship with the Lord. I, I don't think that's what my soul is set up to enjoy. Um, I'm, I, I'm after an amazing love affair with my Father in heaven. And, um, and, uh, and I believe for all of us, there is another step, another level, uh, a deeper level to go into with God and that can happen today I'm going to pray it does happen and this could be a step that we just actually say Lord please take me to the next the next step with you I need more than a satisfactory working relationship I need more than just a just a, a an acquaintance Lord I need a, a friend who loves me so much that he'd give his life for me I need a father who loved me so deeply that he'd never leave me I need a lover who is never ever going to abandon me um, and, uh, and we want to press into that and that's my prayer for today and the last one guys the, the the other reason for the presence of God is help. And, um, and the Lord Jesus promises uh, in John, I should have looked up the verse, I apologize. I will look it up for you later. Um, and he says, I am sending to you a helper, an advocate, a helper, advocate. And don't we all just need help as well? In the end, we can't, we can't live the way Jesus wants us to live. We fail ourselves so often. Uh, we fail him so often. And, um, and we need more help. Uh, and Jesus says, come ask 
ask and and you will receive the Holy Spirit, uh, our helper, our advocate. Um, So let's press into the presence for change. He'll rub off on us for hope. uh, We want to press in deeper. We want to understand who he is to us better and uh, for help. Uh, The Spirit of God comes and he strengthens us to do what is right. Amen. Shall we... um, I pray, I want to pray for you, am I allowed to, yeah, pray really quickly for everyone and then, and then I'll sit down, thank you. Father, we, we thank you for your love for us, thank you for that death on a cross that meant that we could live, that we could be free. Lord, we're sorry for our arrogance and for holding on to the things that we have a right to when actually you're asking us to gently let go of those things and focus on you. And I just pray for all of us here that you might bring us deeper and closer into your heart, into your presence, so that as we become more like you, as we fall deeper into love with you, we might become people who hold our rights lightly, who hold our lives lightly, and for the sake of others, we can give up more and more and more. In your name, amen.